What's up, everybody? Welcome to This Week in Retro. Windows sucks. Amiga forever. All this and more coming up on This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Windows 7 is retro. Escape to scriptory. And flat Newcomb 2D. All these stories and a whole lot more coming up on this week's show. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Welcome everyone to another This Week in Retro, and we have the most enthusiastic Amiga user in the world joining us today. Uh, sounding a little bit less than uh, enthusiastic than normal, perhaps, but um, you know, it, it's Amiga Bill, who many of you will know. Welcome, Bill. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, thanks so much for having me on, guys. Yeah, a little, a little hoarse, a little raspy today. Got a I don't know what I picked up. I've been doing a lot of traveling for work and I, I caught something nasty on one of my one of my flights. But you know what? If there's anything worth getting up out of bed for, it's the show, man. Appreciate <laughs> you guys having me on and I love the show. I'm a big fan and it's an honor to be here. Let's just say you were partying too hard. It's much more glamorous that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, party work hard so party hard. hard i mean that's exactly. what we do after we wrap you know what i'm saying <laughs> so um we've all had great fun this uh, last week going over your ama from a couple of shows ago you asked us lots of questions on the subreddit and i think all three of us have been through and answered your questions now so thank you again um had a lot of fun going through them and i just wanted to raise one thing that's uh, popped up this week that we're not going to do a full story on but i wanted to share it with you it's that there's a charity auction for a copy of It Returned to the Desert. Now, if you watched my latest pickups video with Alex, I showed you a boxed one of five limited editions physical copies of It Returned to the Desert, which is a homage to the old Cinemaware games. So you can get it on Steam, but um, the chap behind it has now made another, a sixth edition just for a charity auction. So I'll get Duncan to put a link to the eBay. It's in eBay Germany, but it will ship worldwide. So if you want to get that sixth physical copy of it returned to the desert you can take part in that um charity auction do some good for charity and hopefully get yourself a copy dave how's your week been um i've been i've been busy with um family stuff this week um but other than that i've been getting air conditioners set up to deal with the heat wave we're having here mm. it's terrible i understand chris is freezing himself to death in australia he came on this morning <laughs> with a beanie on I did. look yeah. at the state of him <laughs> <laughs> and a dressing gown, which I've now taken off because it looks so old man. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely baking hot here. Other than that, I've not been doing much, Neil. Yeah. Chris, how about yourself? Um, yeah, not too bad. And actually, this leads into a, a question, an unanswered question in the um, AMAs. Somebody did ask what the next system I wanted to buy was. And um, and I know Dave's very interested to see in my house, is Atari winning or is Commodore yeah. winning? How's the count? Is it the dark side winning or the light side winning? Well, there was a system that I was really keen to get, but I was I was not in a rush to get, let's put it this way. So I didn't want to throw a lot of money at it. And I was actually going to leave it till next year. But one came up at a fantastic price. Very grateful to the guy that sold it to me. He knows who he is. Um, it's a Commodore. I'll put a link uh, for Duncan mm. to put an image in. Um, so Commodore is winning, uh, but I can't show it in my hands now because A, it's quite heavy, and B, it's plugged into the only CRT in the other corner of the room. It's a CDTV. I'm really nice. happy to have one of those because they started to become unobtainium for reasons that don't quite make sense because they're not that great, let's be honest, but they look 
gorgeous. They're absolutely stunning. So, yeah, yeah, really excited about that. Um, there is, uh, is going to be a lot of Amiga chat in today's show. Um, <laughs> there will it's be. just unavoidable. Bill, have you got a CD TV in your collection? Uh, believe it or not, I don't. I've got a CD32. Um, I do not have a CD TV, but I have great memories of it. It's, it's really, it's an interesting system. You know, it's, it's kind of like back then, Commodore wasn't really sure what the Amiga was. They're like, is it a computer? Is it a multimedia machine? So, you know, let's make, let's make this device that will fit into your home entertainment system. It's actually an Amiga 500, but it's got a CD-ROM with it. It was a little confusing, but I've, I've fond memories of it because I used to run, well, I actually still do, the Westchester Amiga user group. And uh, during the week, we used to have what were called special interest groups. And uh, so it was like, okay, if you're just into music, we're only talking about music at this meeting. If you're into graphics, we're only talking about graphics in this meeting. And our friend Scott, he was an amazing programmer, and he used to run the programming SIGs. And he didn't even have a regular Amiga. He just had a CD TV. Nice. And I have really great memories of going to his house and, he had like a cool setup with the CD TV in his entertainment uh, room. He would like play some music at the top of the meeting and then we get into the programming and it, it was really cool. So it wasn't, it wasn't a big, that popular here in the States either. Um, but it was just, I do have that really fond memory of, of using the CD TV at Scott's house. Yeah, I mean the thing that's really got going for it is is its looks. First and foremost, it's yeah. such a good looking machine, um, and you know it didn't sell well uh, either side of the pond. So that's why they're difficult to get hold of now and collectible. Unfortunately, the things that did badly suddenly become worth the most in the modern day. Chris, it's so true. I mean, now that I've got one, I can see it, it was kind of ahead of its time. You know, nobody else was trying to slot a, a home computer into the, uh, the entertainment system hi-fi stack you know it was it was quite a unique thing to do and it was also early adoption of cd-rom as a medium as well ahead of other other consoles um and that kind of thing but how about you neil um how was your week did you have any surprises anything you weren't expecting a cure for anything i feel like you're getting at something what is it chris what are you getting at <laughs> i don't know i just thought i'd you know we always you always ask us how our weeks are going how was okay, your week okay. going? yeah yeah you something up your sleeve there that you were going to hit me with <laughs> um no i had a good week uh we had a patron day in the cave with simon phipps the creator of rick dangerous shadow man lots of other games besides so he did a wonderful talk that i recorded and i'm editing up this week lovely to see all the official cave dwellers and all of alex's arcadians that came down to spend the day with us um and uh, it was a very Amiga-oriented week last week because uh, I spent five days solid in my editing folder. I've got a folder for every day of filming, stripping an Amiga 4000 that had been painted black, back, trying to get it back, looking original. The, the machine, the keyboard, it had all been painted black, and it was a hell of a job trying to get it back. That video will go out in... Um, 40 minutes from now, that will go public. <laughs> so by the time this goes out, people will be able to watch that. Condensed five days down into 17 minutes, and hopefully you enjoy that whole process. So, well, good, good, game. good game there, Niels. I, I always appreciate you bringing uh, the trashes to the treasures. The trashes to the treasures. Awesome. Treasure. <laughs> yes. yeah. Did you ever see that faceplate for the Amiga 4000? That I think it might have been the Kickstarter many years ago. It was like an aluminum faceplate. Oh, um, no. There, it was really, I, I, unfortunately, I missed out on that one, but the faceplate to my Amiga 4000 is like horribly yellow. So maybe I'll have to send it out to you to get a little refurbished. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's interesting because most of my Amigas are actually in really good shape, knock on wood. But my 4000, the, the front faceplate is very yellow. So I thought about getting one of those like aluminum faceplates. They were really cool. I, I hope they come back. Yeah, well, when I stripped this down, you could see why he painted it in the first place. It was yeah, okay. going in that direction. <laughs> and we used some interesting methods as well on the metal. I won't spoil it. 
but please, it, it's well worth watching some of the, the methods that we've used for this that can help other people as well. Um, yeah, so very much an Amiga week. Dave, you, were, you took an inhalation yeah. of breath there. What's on the screen there in Chris's background, Neil? Oh, hello, Chris. That is... What? That is a picture of me peering into one of my glass cabinets because just towards the end of the patron day, I found someone had planted something inside one of my glass cabinets. Now, you must, whoever did this must have got a volunteer involved because they would have had the keys to get into the cabinet. And in my cabinet, I found a copy of the, the Cure's Greatest Hits and added to that was a picture of Robert Smith of Retro.Directory because Dave <laughs> just likes to troll Robert Smith. So, Dave, were you involved in this? Well, someone who will, I'm sure, reveal themselves eventually helped play a prank on Neil by slipping that Cure album with a caption or picture of Rob Smith. Now, Rob Smith is not the same Robert Smith from The Cure. <laughs> Rob creates a few super clever things for the Amiga, but also the amazing retro directory that we always want to talk about, we want people to use. Uh, we're not linked to it, we just think it's a fantastic thing to make everyone's ex retro experience better. But they slipped in that. Now, Neil, who is the only one that could have been involved? Do you think Rob was involved? No, I th my money's on Derek. Derek, right. And do you think three imaginary boys could have done it? Um, do you think I was involved, Neil? Because you accused me of it. <laughs> <laughs> if you weren't directly involved, I think you encourage people to behave badly. So I think that was very much your involvement. Well, bad influence, am I? Yes, yeah. I think of myself more as a games master. <laughs> <laughs> well, the truth, I'm sure, will out itself. Um, it will in time. But yeah, um, that was a bit of fun, I thought. <laughs> Dave, I love Rob's retro directory. It's awesome. Oh, it's I, awesome. I, yeah. I've uh, I've added some uh, some of the barcades here in New York City to uh, nice. to his list. You know, that's the most important thing. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully, so I'll, I'll um, that. hopefully, Australia is starting to fill up because there was a severe lack yeah, of entries. Chris, what have you done about that? Chris? 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 No. Chris? What? Sorry, you're talking to me. Sorry, I was just, yeah, in the middle of something there. Can't remember what you're talking about. Should we get on with the show? Okay, <laughs> let's go into Dave's housekeeping. I haven't done anything. You... May have noticed that the subreddit was closed for two days last week. This is in line with a go dark on Reddit to process changes that we're making that make third party apps close down. It's been in BBC News, it's all over the place. Um, it caught us a bit of a surprise because we weren't, I wasn't aware that it was starting when it did. So we did follow in line with it, but we've decided that we will not shut down the subreddit again like that unless we're able to give you real proper advance warning on the subreddit, on the YouTube community tab and on Twitter. That's three different places we can tell you about things and we will going forward use those to give you as much notice. We don't intend to close it down again though. Yeah, it's very easy to, um, well, to miss these things. I had no idea that this was happening. Dave, you had an idea because you more closely administer and moderate the um, the subreddit for us, so you knew what was going on. No, it, it was nothing to do with that. It, it, no? was, it, was, it was reading the, reading the articles in BBC News that let, let me know about it. Okay. Um, and a lot of our listeners, you know, they didn't have any idea because some of them only use Reddit for our subreddit. They just come yeah. to submit their stories. They're not interested in the politics that surround it or anything like that. So, um, yeah, we will watch that closely. And if anyone's got any suggestions for an alternative to Reddit, we're all layers. Let us know if there's something you'd rather we use, then um, we have no uh, obligation to stick with Reddit. Let us know. 
but it's a good prompt to get you to follow the um the account on twitter to get your updates or don't it's totally fine just to tune in your podcatcher app or on youtube when you want to and otherwise don't worry about these things it's not it's not something that's essential you need to do just relax and do it whichever way you want now the cool little palm top and notebook we discussed a few weeks ago have started to arrive with youtubers and there's a few videos on YouTube now. So um, if you remember that, it was a, a real hardware uh, 386 and a real hardware 8086 um, IBM PCs compatible. Uh, so previous guest, uh, Clint, has a YouTube channel, if you're not aware of that. And um, he's got a great review of it done there. We'll link that there if you want to do a little follow-up on that story. Yeah. Um, I don't think any of the YouTubers got any preferential treatment coming nope. from AliExpress. I think everybody just ordered at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> and it was like a race to get their first videos out, which is always fun to watch. Clint actually, Clint is actually, <laughs> he's never really the first, is he? He, he, he nope. always sort of, when it's ready, it's ready and he gets it out. Um, yeah. And then others rush to get theirs out. Um, it's nice to see everybody's perspective on these things. I have this little suspicion, though, that the only people that have bought it is people with YouTube channels. <laughs> yeah. Chrissy <laughs> bought one. I know Chrissy bought one, so that's not Yeah, Chris, Chrissy bought one for his to go in a box somewhere. Yeah, not on a shelf. Yeah. Should we go into our first story? Yeah. Windows 7 is retro. Now, what's the newest operating system that you would all consider to be retro? Uh, let's go Chris first. Oh, the newest, as in the most recent... XP, most recent. yeah, XP. XP. I, I draw the line at XP, yeah. Yeah, Dave? Yeah. I would say Windows 90. XP's on the line for yeah. the games on XP are retro, perhaps. Windows XP doesn't feel retro to me. Mm. Yeah, mm. Bill, how about yourself? I don't know about all this Windows stuff, but I'm definitely <laughs> going Amiga OS 3.2. You know, like it's still based on the... <laughs> Uh, the old school operating system from you know back in the 90s but still getting updated you know it, we it, it was stuck on 3.1 for a long time and uh now we're getting updates we got 3.14 we got 3.2 now we have an update to 3.2 so it's, it's pretty amazing that this operating system is still being supported here in uh, 2023 so i think that's definitely the most new retro operating system i think it qualifies it's newer than windows xp yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's true and Plenty retro, more retro than XP as well. <laughs> yeah. So this question was prompted by a story submitted to us by listener such underscore adhesiveness 839. I mean, it sounds like maybe an AI has been in there submitting stories to us with a random name. But thank you for submitting that story. And um, it's all about the game service Steam. Steam is dropping support for Windows 7, 8 and 8.1 as of January 2024. So just six months time, if you're still gaming um, with one of these platforms using Steam, the lights are going to go out. The um, changes are appearing as a result of Steam's dependence on Chrome, which in itself will no longer function on the older operating system. So that has a knock-on effect with Steam and that can't run either. The Steam support article goes on to read, Microsoft ended security updates and technical support for Windows 7 in January 2020 and for Windows 8.1 in January 2023. Computers running these operating systems when connected to the internet are susceptible to new malware and other exploits which will not be patched. That malware can cause your PC, Steam and games to perform poorly or crash. That malware can also be used to steal the credentials from your Steam account or other services. So Steam putting the fear up there, users. Um, that's what's going to happen. You're going to have everything stolen from you if you don't update. 
Now I do have a Windows 7 PC kicking around. It's not my main PC and it's not it's not a gaming PC really. I'm more likely to be running something like Scum VM on it and retro games rather than anything modern, but you know, it works. I've got no reason to upgrade it at this point. I don't think my credentials are going to be stolen. Um, so it's all good. Windows 7 came out in 2009, quite quite some time ago now, and it was the antidote to the much maligned Windows Vista. But for me, it, it doesn't feel that old, Windows 7, partly because it didn't have the same horrendously long life cycle as Windows XP, which by the time we got to the end of that, we were all so ready to move on from it. We'd had rumors of something called Longhorn for years and years, and there was going to be a replacement for the NTFS um, file system that never materialized. It was all going to be SQL-based. Promise after promise kind of fell away, and um, Windows XP remained until eventually we all got Vista, and weren't we happy with that one that arrived? Yay. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, since Windows 7, it, it all feels like uh, – it all feels very familiar. It's been much more of an iterative approach to the updates to Windows from there all the way through to Windows 11, which I recently installed. Uh, I must admit, I did use a third-party app to get the classic start menu back on my Windows 11. I didn't, I couldn't, couldn't stomach that start menu um, that they've added on there. But yes, Dave, I've I've managed to to get mine the way I want it without using a third-party really? app. You can you can left justify, it and then after that, I just control escape to do everything. So I stopped using the start menu. I'm I'm okay with it. I was surprised. I thought I'd have to do. I knew you'd done something. I thought I'd have to do it, but I haven't. I'm still resisting that whole press start type the application you want. I think we talked about this recently. I like yeah. to have my organized folders in my start menu. You can still type if you want to find, but um, I just I don't I just like. I like the, uh, I would call it the Windows 2000 start menu. That's what I like. <laughs> it's kind of funny. You know, I, I, I go to my Windows, I'm in Windows 10, and my apparently my computer is not powerful enough to upgrade to 11, so I need to do some hardware upgrades. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, mine says thought, as well. thought, yeah, yeah, no Windows 11 for me. And how about that Windows 8? That was wacky, huh? That was a wacky oh, one. <laughs> that's where they tried to force Metro on everyone. It's like, hey, we've made this yeah. operating system for our phone and this UI. Let's put yeah. it on a desktop. Yeah, just as yeah. if everyone's got a touch screen all of a sudden. That was horrible. And that was yeah. probably when I first started using things like Classic Shell or Open Shell, as, as yeah. I think it's called now, to sort out my start menu. But there we go. So um, we've got Amiga Bill with us today. So I thought we'd try and give this a bit of an Amiga twist. Um, we've all made you aware that Steam on Windows 7 will be uh, no longer available. Let's move on to, <laughs> to, to Workbench. Um, the Amiga still gets his updates, as Bill said in the present day from kickstart 3.2 to amiga os4 going back a little bit now amiga os 3.2 more recently um yeah amiga amiga os 3.2 released after amiga os4 bit odd but i'm sure there's a story behind that but i don't know if bill can explain that or not and there are alternatives such as aros and lots of other things for your amiga so let's talk about our amiga setups even you dave how do you like it is your os on your amiga up to date or do you have a sweet spot that you like to keep your amiga at um dave i don't know what os i use on my amiga um i have one that works and i put in a disc and it loads again i have a checkmate case which i will put once i've done it an amiga 500 plus in an amiga 500 plus plus board and i will get a terrible fire running and that i'll get the proper hard disk set up running and I'll be honest, I have set up that in an emulator. 
it's actually quite good. Um, the whole Amiga operating system loading up and having the the, um, the proper kind of Windows style interface where you have things installed, WHD load and all the rest, of it is quite good. But I haven't the faintest idea which operating system it is, which version it is. I'll just follow a, a guide or a walkthrough and it'll tell me which one to do and I won't remember it. So it doesn't stick in my mind that way. When you say you'll get a proper hard disk set up, does that mean you'll direct message our friend Pillock and say, send me a copy of a hard disk image that's all set up for me and no. I'll put it on an SD card? <laughs> well, I might ask him for a blank one because I understand it's hard to even get that on an Amiga. Um, but once I've got the blank one, I will. In, I, I'm, I'm quite meticulous. I'm quite, I'm quite stringent about this. I don't ever want to just copy a whole load of WHD load files or ROMs or whatever system it is onto a system and then have this endless list of games to cut in and out through. I want to install games one by one when I choose to, when I want to play them, and it'll make it just a bit more meaningful for me. But yeah, that's what I'll do. And I, I don't really know which version of, of, of Amiga OS I'll use. Um, I'd like I'd like to, to be nice to you all and say I'm really into it, but I'm not. Um, but maybe once I've been using it for a while, I will be. Maybe once I've used it for a while, I will be. As far as my Atari ST is concerned, though, my Mega STE, um, I did buy um, an updated version of TOS from Peter Patari. Um, he's made a few enhancements to it, but I can't, f and I bought it like a year ago, uh, and I can't find my EEPROM burner, and I, I will not buy another EEPROM burner <laughs> because it is in this house somewhere. I'm not going to buy another one. It's only like 30 quid or something, I think. I'm not going to buy another one until this one shows up, and it will show up. I didn't expect it to take this long, but it will show up, and then I'll use it. Um, I do want to go back to the Steam thing. Go I on. do want to go back. I know you said move on, but no, I, I, I don't I don't listen to you. Um, <laughs> I'm unhappy with the Steam thing. I have a couple of PCs that I do want to run Steam on because that's where the games I have are. I buy games on Steam, and a lot of the games I've had I've got on Steam are from the Windows XP and Windows 7 era. A load of games. In fact, there's very few modern games on there. It's mostly older games. And I always imagined I would find Steam a great way of putting that on my old systems. So it's a bit annoying that I'll not be able to, or, or they say I'll not be able to do that. I have this little suspicion that you'll get an out-of-date copy of Steam and slowly functionality will drop, but it'll still run the games for you and it'll give you warnings. You're not using the right latest thing, security, blah, blah, blah. I've got this feeling it'll be there. But... Um, if it doesn't work on Windows 7 or Windows XP or whatever, um, we're back to piracy and being software preservation again. And um, that's one on mm. uh, one chalked up for the pirates versus oh, legitimate software. Yeah, oh, yeah, GOG, exactly. That's, that's where GOG, that's yeah. where GOG yeah, really GOG, helps you. I actually tend mm. to buy everything on GOG now if I possibly mm. can. I'll buy it on GOG. Or, of course, I've got a big wall of games so all surrounding me. I'll use the originals if I need be. As I do tend to go with GOG work. because what they give you <laughs> On GOG, they give you a downloadable package that will do an installer. You can copy that across to your old vintage machines and run them, whereas a Steam, you can't. Yeah, that's the nice I thing. You know, Often they're wrapped up with DOSBox, but the install files are in there, so you can just take yeah. the game and put it on a vintage yeah. machine, which is great. Yeah. And the fact that you don't know what operating system you're running on your Amiga <laughs> is ideal because that's the purpose of an operating system, to yeah. protect the end user from all the complexities of the machine. If you don't know, it's doing its job. So mm -hmm. that, Exactly. That's I also like your, how you um, do more of a curation, You know, because I agree, like if you just have, I mean, there's over 5,000 Amiga games available. And sometimes when you have too many choices, mm. there's just like a lot of noise. Where when you build your system, 
put your favorite games onto your hard drive, put your favorite games onto your Amiga, and you can access them quickly. And then it's nice to have that library somewhere else. You're like, oh, you know, I saw this game on a channel recently. Let me go try that out. And you can go pick it out. But there's a lot to be said for curation because when you have too many choices, um, there can just be a lot of noise and you can, you know, miss out on a lot, a lot of good stuff. You just spend more time like looking for games and, you know, skimming through things versus like really digging into them. It makes it, it's, it's sort of a thin experience when you have that many, especially in an emulator, when you're flicking in and out of games on a list, you're in them for 10 seconds, it doesn't grab you, you're back out, and that's not, that's not how to play them, that's not how to get the best yeah. out of them. I want to I want to load a game and I want, I want someone to tell me, this game's actually really good, spend some time with it, and then to spend some, to, to make myself spend some time with it and get something out of it, rather than say, well, if it doesn't grab me in 30 seconds, I'm moving on to the next one. It's almost like having too many channels on the TV. You end up yeah, just clicking yeah. through all the channels and not watching anything. <laughs> Dave, you need to implement the, the RFID solution we've got in one of the arcades <laughs> where you can put an RFID tag on all those games behind mm. you in your on your shelves and just when you put it on your desk next to your PC, it pops up on the PC. That's what you need. <laughs> Clever. Yeah. Um, Bill, how about you? What are your thoughts on this? Um, are we doing Windows or the new, the new operating yeah. systems? Both, whatever, whatever you want to talk about there. So Steam and Amiga, your your choice of Amiga setup of, of preference. Uh, you know, I, I use Steam a lot. I love playing the modern games. And I, the one thing that's really cool about Steam uh, that I've seen these days, well, not about Steam, but I just, I love some of the, the new games that are coming out that are retro inspired. You know, lots of cool pixel art. Uh, I love that. And I'm really excited. For example, there's a dev team called Bitbeam Cannon, and they're making this incredible new uh, Amiga game called Metro Siege. But their model is like, let's make this game for the Amiga, but also have it available on Steam. And this opens it up to like a whole new audience. So maybe some people can you know, get into Amiga uh, based on that. Some people never heard of Amiga before. And also, hopefully it'll be good for the guys because, you know, let's face it, the, the Amiga market is pretty small. So you're not going to exactly you know, make your money back just by selling to the Amiga community. But you put it on Steam and maybe these devs can you know, get some really cool support from, from uh, other folks who are outside the Amiga community as well. And that could... You know, motivate people to to make games, more games for Amiga. So that's it's kind of neat seeing this this model of how I'm making a retro game primarily for this retro computer, but uh, it's still available on Steam to play on a modern PC. That's pretty. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's similar to what Bitmap Bureau do. So the their latest game, Xeno Crisis, that they made, you can buy it even on a uh, a Neo Geo cartridge for several hundred pounds. Neo Geo CD, you can get it on a Mega Drive cart, you can get it on all these systems, or you can go on Steam and you can enjoy it in exactly the same way. So it's really nice that these old systems are supported. Incredible, really, that someone would go to the effort of physically making a Neo Geo cartridge with all the beautiful shock box packaging and everything like that. So... I hope companies keep doing that. So I'd sooner buy something like that than say something from limited run games where you're getting the game on a USB stick, you know, I'll take it on steam or I take it on a cartridge. Yeah. And it's cool. That's actually an Amiga game on steam. You know, it's, it's not, uh, I, I appreciate the retro inspired games, you know, very much, but this is actually an Amiga game on steam that can run on your PC, which is really cool. Yeah. Now tell us about your Amiga then. Do you have a preferred setup? Oh, yeah. I mean, I love playing around my uh, Amiga setups. You know, this, I don't know if you can see it, but I got my Amiga 1200 here. I would say this is my, my primary Amiga. And uh, the first thing I did was I took out the spinning platter hard drive. I replaced it with a compact flash card. I used that as my hard drive. Um, I changed out the case. Uh, I've got that case was really damaged, the one that I got. And this is a beautiful CD32 colored um, inspired case with, uh, with gray and black keycaps from uh, a1200.net. 
I also, the, the floppy drive, I'm very, uh, I, I love having original like floppy disks. Like there's nothing like popping in a floppy yeah. disk. Yeah, that's the ultimate retro experience. I feel like, you know, every time, okay, you hook your Amiga up to an LCD. Okay, you're all, that's one layer away from the retro experience. You don't use floppy disks. That's another layer away from the retro experience. But you know what? The floppy drive in this machine uh, was broken. I didn't know how to fix it. I saved it because someday I'll get it to someone who can fix it because I believe in you know preserving this stuff. It's really important. But what I did is I put a Go X drive in it, and it allows you to put uh, Amiga disk images, ADF files, onto an SD card, pop them in, and you can load them just like their their floppy disks. So that's a really neat upgrade. It makes it super fast too. Like I've literally been on stream, and someone's like, "Hey, this brand new game just came out. It's on ADF." And I'm like, "Okay, cool. I download it on my PC." pop in the SD card, drop it on, boom, put it into my Amiga, and I'm playing it like in just minutes. So that's, that's really neat. But I, I do like to use it as if it's a floppy drive. I, again, just like Dave, I don't load a ton of games onto that card. I'm like, okay, I'm putting in a floppy disk. I'm going to put one ADF onto that. Or you know, if it's multiple disk game, I'll put those disks onto the SD card and load them as if I'm using uh, a floppy disk. So you need but to yeah. find like a job lot of like a thousand low, um, S- <laughs> low, low capacity SD cards. Yeah. <laughs> just put one in each game box just with exactly. that ADF on. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and then, you know, I've got a Terrible Fire uh, 1260, TF 1260 in here, which is, is great because I love playing demos and a lot of demos require uh, an 060. So the Amiga 1200 came with an 020 and the 060 beefs it up and it also has a lot more RAM on it as well. Um, I'm running at 50 megahertz, which is kind of a sweet spot, but you know, one day I may I'll get a, a newer rev and we'll get up to 100, so I could really run like the most demanding demos. That would be cool. Um, I replaced my LEDs because I just I love the way my computer looks. Like I'm a visual guy. I like my, my retro computers to look good. So I replaced my LEDs with something called a Bifrost, which is really neat. It's totally customizable LEDs. You can change. There's like millions of different, literally, I'm like a million different color combinations you can do. Um, it's just a lot of fun. You can have them pulsate. It's, it's all silly stuff, but it's a lot of fun. I mean, that's what we're trying to do here is have fun with this hobby. And then I'm super lucky on the inside. I've got something called a Solus board. A guy named Rob Cranley made it. And uh, it's a board that can do all sorts of things. It plugs into the clock port on your Amiga 1200. It can tell you like the temperature of your CPU and do all sorts of stuff. But the really cool part is you can connect these RGB lights to it and then connect it to the RF output on the Amiga 1200. And it, it takes the, the audio from the RF port and syncs it with your RGB LED light. So when you're playing a good tune from Hoffman or something, you can see like the, the, the LEDs become VU meters. And it's just a lot of fun. Again, totally silly, but a whole lot of fun. Nice. Yeah, I saw that in action at Amiga Island, and it was just incredible. When you combine the the lights with the, like the black case that you've got there, and you've got the black and gray keycaps, it just looks like an incredible, modern, beautiful machine. It's 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 amazing what you can do with that with an Amiga at twelve hundred and other Amigas now. Um, he says, having just spent a week taking all of the black off of an Amiga, <laughs> your black Amiga twelve hundred. That's amazing. <laughs> That's but, cool too. I've seen people, you know, I've seen folks just customize their own Amiga, and I, some people are like, "Oh, you can't do that." I'm like, "Absolutely, you can." It's your Amiga. Yeah. Ideas have fun. Yeah. You know, I do. I do want to preserve. I hope people do preserve original Amigas, and they're like for museum stuff. I, that's great but you know at the end of the day if you have your amiga 500 you want to do some cool artwork on the on the case go for it yeah yeah um chris what are your thoughts on your ideal setup you're an amiga guy (laughs) yeah it's not so much my ideal setup just what i'm using at the moment so my my a500 obviously doesn't have a hard drive so that's just kickstart 1.3 um and if i happen going to workbench it's because i installed i'm sorry insert the original workbench 1.3 disc and that's how it is and that's how it should be for me for that machine this a1200 actually came with this compact flash card in it which is a 16 gig card which 
was Workbench 3.0, which is the correct one for this machine, for the, for the ROM in it. Um, but it did have a heap of extra tools and stuff installed, like extra file managers and um, uh, launchers and iGame and WHD load and all sorts of stuff. And because I'd never owned an A1200 before, I never had one back in the day, I really wanted to experience it as it would have come from the shop. So I, I backpedaled that. So obviously I've kept this 16 gig card. That's untouched, unchanged, but I've put a fresh one in there and that's a fresh install from original discs of uh, Workbench 3.0 and nothing's been done to it. And the only games that are installed on there at the moment have been installed either from the original discs or from ADFs via a external GoTek. So I'm using my GoTek as DF1. Um, and But from disc images, there's no WHD load involved at this point. I'm not against WHD load, but at the moment I'm just, how, how did Workbench 3.0 work? How did the A1200 work? From scratch, the only thing I've, I've compromised in, I did briefly test it with the 020 and the 2 meg of RAM, and that is quite limiting. So I, I very swiftly put back in, because it came in it when I bought this machine, the um, uh, ACA uh, 1233N, which is an A30 card with 128 meg extra RAM as well, running at 42 megahertz. And I, I can't live without that for too long, if I'm honest, especially because I really like playing about with the first-person shooters that the Amiga had, um, Gloom, Gloom Deluxe, um, Alien Breathe 3D2 especially. Even that struggles on an 030, though. The 060 I'm very jealous of their build because <laughs> that's what you need to run Alien Breathe 3D2. Um, but it's just, yeah, that's how I like to experience these machines. I was going to say, if, if you're struggling with the Amiga and the, the first-person shooters, have you tried a PC instead? <laughs> well, on that, I mean, that's that's the last one I want to come to, actually. I have also played about with Aros, which is, of course, uh, um, Neil mentioned briefly, you know, an Amiga-like operating system that you can install on a PC. Um, and I, I played about with that. for It took me longer to install than I actually spent playing about in it, but it was just a curiosity. And also playing about with Amiga Forever, because um, using the Amiga Forever disk, you can actually do a, a KX Lite. I think that's the right term. So you can basically get your PC to boot directly into Workbench 3.x, as they called it at the time. Um, I haven't seen many people bother to do that. And if you do do it, it's, it's actually quite... downgrade, that's why. Well, it's just interesting to play about with. Um, but in terms of you know PCs and, and their operating systems and going back to the main story and, and Steam dumping these older operating systems, Windows 7 doesn't surprise me. Let's face it, that's had its day. But Windows 8 and 8.1, seeing that on the list, that actually really surprised me because that still feels new you know that really did come out because of the advent of touchscreen pcs um and i bought a touchscreen laptop at the time because i thought well this is the way forward and you're going to be stuffed if you don't have a touchscreen if, you, if you're not putting smudges all over your screen then then you know you're not going to be able to use the operating system um and fortunately things have backpedaled and people now understand that Touchscreen for a phone, good. Touchscreen for a PC screen, especially if you're doing graphic work, extremely bad. It's <laughs> just the last thing you want. Um, so we have backpedal, but yeah, I mean, it's just over ten years old. It doesn't doesn't feel old enough to you know be losing functionality for me anyway. Yeah. Well, I will push on because we've got a couple more stories to get in, and uh, we've had a good old chat about this. I will just say that my favourite is Workbench. I always go back to Workbench 1.3 with the blue and the orange mm. color scheme because oh, yeah. it just takes me right back to the Christmas when I got my Amiga 500 and put Workbench in for the first time and loaded up Say and made it say swear words and all of that stuff. So I, I'm always a fan of the blue and the orange. Um, but yeah, that is how we turn a Windows story into an Amiga story, ladies and gents. <laughs> if you are still using Steam on Windows 7, it might be time to let off some Steam and turn it up to 11 or just get an Amiga. 
We are sponsored, thank you very much, by Pixel Addict Magazine. Now, as many of you will know, Amiga Bill is the face of Amiga Addict. He was right there on the cover with his great big grin on, on issue one. Um, Pixel Addict is the sister magazine of Amiga Addict, but it's not just about one system, uh, one irrelevant, out-of-date old system. It's about lots of them, um, and as well as other things as well. It covers more than just uh, games. Um, it comes out once every six weeks and is available online at pixel.addict.media or maybe at your local newsagent. Bill, have you heard of Pixel Addict? I sure have. Uh, it, you know, what Jonah and the team over there are doing is just absolutely uh, amazing. Uh, this, uh, the fact that there are magazines dedicated to Amiga, just to, to pixel art in general, and there's so many of them out there, you know, besides uh, Amiga Act and Pixel Act, it's, it's just it's incredible. Like, it shows how much interest there is in this, in this um, retro community. And the, the fact, like, the fact those guys put so much, like, hard work and effort into it to, like, pump it out, like, every six weeks, it's mind-boggling. I mean, it's not even their full-time job. They're doing it for fun. Yeah. And I, the yeah. amount of time and effort they put into it, it just, I don't know, like, everyone's got 24 hours in a day, but I, don't, I really don't know how these guys do it. <laughs> because the quality is just outstanding. It's just as good as any, you know, professional magazine from back in the day. I mean, it is professional. It's, it's a professional, even though it's a labor of love. It, it absolutely blows me out of the water. It is super high quality. So um, if the addiction is pixels, Dave, what's the remedy? How do you how do you overcome a pixel addiction? Um, it's not a harmful addiction. You should no. buy the magazine. You should subscribe to it. And you should <laughs> read it every six weeks. And that's that's my prescription for cure. Thank you, Dr. The cure? We're going to do Raw Smith again. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> pixel.addict.media for all your addiction needs top quality <laughs> magazine right there now before i go into my story i want to reassure people that bill is not hiding illegal substances under his hat he is bald as is the requirement to be on this show <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> um there you go there it is there it is <laughs> i've been i've been bald since i've been 17 years old one day I've, I've heard that bill is doing a charity stream soon and if he raises enough money he's going to have the amiga boing ball tattooed on the top of his head oh we can all look forward to that it's like um, one of the crazy footballers out there football fans right <laughs> right let's go into my story back in the 1980s time moved slowly summers seemed to last forever and we have none of our adult responsibilities and we could get deep into something for as long as we wanted. I still aspire to improve myself and my life to the point where I can go deep into something again and not have tasks and responsibilities to think about hanging over me, making me feel guilty about sitting doing it. But for today, thanks to a submission from Hidden Loop, let's talk about adventure games and mapping. I know I did a fair amount of this, particularly for text adventures, and some of those had, had weird maps. You'd leave east, but you'd return by going south. Uh, <laughs> taking the time to do that with a game can really enhance the enjoyment of it. These days we have auto maps, and the internet is there to give us maps for virtually anything, even the old games, and that's probably better on balance because we're all time poor. We don't have time to do it now, but I still think warmly about doing it old school. Now, just a, a quick question to three before you get started. Have you ever tried to draw your own map, and can you name the game? Chris? Mercenary. Bill? Never tried to draw my own map, but I love the fairy tale adventure map. Neil? 
um, like you, Dave, text adventures, and I was looking at Infocom's Ballyhoo recently and noticed in the manual it actually starts you off with kind of a hand drawing of the first few rooms of the map, almost to kind of nudge you into mm. continuing the map yourself, which yeah. is really nice. That, that's not it's actually not uncommon at all lots of games have that that partial map even eye of the beholder for example um an rpg dungeon caller has that lots of different examples of that to kind of encourage you to go and do it and it really does enhance the game although it takes a lot of time well hidden loop did it with a couple of world war ii escape games first of all with the great escape at eight years old, with presumably a similarly aged cousin mapped out the camp, the hidden items, and the garden patterns on an Amstrad CPC 6128. Good to see it get some representation in, in amongst all these horrible Amigas, <laughs> uh, but still not managing to escape. Now, then a few years later, escape from Colditz on the Amiga 500. Now, despite not making it out, the good news is that they're now progressing through it on a mister in 2023. So good luck in escaping. They've attached the maps that were found in a cupboard, and the detail is incredible. Follow the link to the Reddit post to see them, and if you're on the podcast, they'll be on screen now if you're watching on YouTube, and hopefully Duncan can zoom in now. You can see the, the meticulous detail uh, that they've been put in. I, I don't think any map I made was ever that detailed. I think they mostly started out and then had to change the scale as they reached the side of the page. Um <laughs> <laughs> but now, in The Great Escape, you control a British prisoner of war and your job is to escape. That means you need to set up certain events to happen. But the interesting thing is about it is your man will continue with his daily routine in the prisoner of war camp. And it's up to you to decide how and when he deviates from that to go and try and work in the objective. Now, be that grabbing a Red Cross parcel, stealing a guard's uniform, or exploring the tunnels, and repeatedly playing the game will get you used to the guard routines, to the map, and the various ways, that it, the various things you need to do to escape. Now, Neil, have you either been a prisoner of war or have you played either of these two games? Either is, either is acceptable. Well, we won't talk about the first, but the second, um, yeah, I mean, The Great Escape, first of all, I think the artwork on, on the cover by the, the late, great Bob Wakelin is some of the most iconic artwork on a game of the 80s. It's, I mean, I remember the, the box, I remember the poster up on my wall, I remember seeing it in magazines. It's just so spot on, you know, so great, really captures the feel of that kind of movie type um a uh, game. So The Great Escape on the ZX Spectrum is the first game that I ever emulated. Uh, we used to play it on an Acorn Archimedes at school. We'd sneak in, we'd play it at lunchtime. Someone had snuck a ZX Spectrum emulator on the Archimedes and Great Escape was the game that we always played. So that was good fun. Um, and then when it came to Escape from Colditz, I nagged my mum to buy the board game. I really, really wanted this board game. She did get it for me one Christmas, and then I made her play it with me. <laughs> and it was great fun because I didn't have friends that were super into computers. I had a few. I didn't have friends that were super into board games. So it was really frustrating for me as a kid, which might explain why I've got a computer museum and now we're hosting board game events in the computer museum to get everyone in there. Yes, Dave. So effectively, your mum became a prisoner of war of you <laughs> demanding she play the horrible game that oh, she yeah. had to pay for. Oh, yeah. She loved Hero Quest as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so when a game came out based on Escape from Cold, it's the board game for my Amiga. I had to have it. So I pirated it. And um, I, 
I wish that I'd actually bought a boxed copy. I didn't ever see it in the shops, to be honest. It was probably listed on special reserve, but I never saw it on the shelves in the shops. And if you happen to have a boxed copy, I'm not saying they go for, but they're certainly listed on eBay in the region of four to five hundred pounds. It's a it's a much sought after boxed game. Now the games are both isometric. Um, in Escape from Cold, it's um, which is the one I played the most because the other one I only played rarely at lunch breaks. You have a team of people and you switch between them, all different nationalities. And between them, you have to find items. You have to use those items. For example, lock picks. You might use one guy to open a door. You might go through that door with another guy. You know, you use the teamwork to, to the best effect. You can hide things. You can dig little holes and hide things for another team member to find. And it's all based around the routine of the prison camp. So you have to be in certain places at certain times or the guards will lock you up or shoot you or, or whatever. Did I escape? No. I don't think I ever made a single person escape in that game, but I had a lot of fun trying. It's got great title music. Really love the music on it. Great atmosphere. Very hard. And then until I saw this hand-drawn map, I didn't really realize just quite how big Escape from Cold it was. I thought I'd seen a lot of the map, but there's a hell of a lot more besides to see. So I might have to join them in um, trying it out again on the Mister and having another, another crack at it. It is a hard game, but it's a fun game as far as i'm concerned i can't remember if i mapped out jet set willy it was one of the first games that would have benefited that i played that would have benefited from a map i can't remember if i did it or not but i have seen maps in magazines and then later online these huge big maps that show the whole thing at once and it shows the whole mansion it's incredible the same actually with cauldron 2 because cauldron 2 is a witch's castle and when you see the whole thing for that it's quite incredible because you don't when you when you're going room to room playing the actual game you don't really realize that the whole thing can be zoomed out and, and shown how big it is so um I think we actually covered it in the show where there's a Jet Set Willy remake where the whole map was live at the same time. Um, but a special game for me, one that got me really deep into gaming and eventually into computer role-playing games. And more importantly, my first taste of J.R.R. Tolkien was Lord of the Rings, a text adventure on my Amstrad CPC. I, I really loved that game. It did feel as if you're playing in the same world from the novel. And it didn't just railroad you along. They were on just the plot from the book. There were extra areas that you could go. If 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 the the hobbits went one way, you could go a different way, and you could explore the the places they didn't go to. So I did map it as best I could. Um, I felt it was essential because you were. Yeah, it was a bit like, I mean, in terms of um, having to replay it and cut your times down and get there, get things done faster, I felt as if there was a bit of that going on, but I was never really sure what time you're up against. But I loved doing that. And of course, I went on to do maps for other games as well afterwards. Um, but I, I, I don't think you've done maps, have you? I haven't done uh, many, many maps. You know, it, it's a little bit of a shame. But the thing that's cool is I could always like go back and, and revisit this. But growing up, I think I was just like a little bit too young. And the, the way it happened was I did get Zork on my Atari 800 uh, and a few of those Infocom games. And I was really intrigued by them. But I think I was just too young to really like understand and process them. And I just kind of, you know, put them on the side and just focused on the arcade, the arcade games, which I really love. And, you know, I'm a I'm more of a visual guy. Like I like to look at beautiful things more than like do it in my head. Um, so I think I was just like, I was like a little bit too young, never really got into the text adventures, even though, but now as an adult, I think I really could get into them uh, much better. So I think I might have to fire up the escape from Colditz and, and check it out. because I could definitely appreciate it more as an adult than as like a 12 year old, 12 year old kid. Um, but you know, as far as like escape games, 
is not technically an escape game, I guess, but I'm, I'll never forget playing Castle Wolfenstein, the original Castle Wolfenstein, and be on my Atari 800 and beyond Castle Wolfenstein on my Apple II. I, I love those. They, those were really neat games. And, you know, I know there's another news article you have coming up, and it's just cool to see a game that started out as 2D go 3D. Um, and then I also, but I did like playing, you know, interactively. Uh, for example, like with a map that was already made, I had a game called Chivalry on my Apple IIe. And it was a really interesting game because you had to play along, you played along on your Apple II with it. But then there was this, this really elaborate like box set with a, with a whole game board and game pieces. And it was just like half computer game, half board game. I really enjoyed that. Also, when I did get my Amiga, I did like adventure games of the Sierra adventure games and, you know, classics. I did like playing games like that. One of my favorites was Fairytale Adventure. And it came with some beautiful books and this, this huge, beautiful map of the world. And I really uh, enjoyed admiring that artwork and the map really helped as well. So I wasn't as much of a, in my head, drawing the map out myself kind of guy. I, I like things that were already kind of made for me, but um, I'm interested in checking out, maybe revisiting some of those old text adventures because uh, there's definitely, it's like reading a book versus watching a movie. That's kind of, yeah. you know, that's kind of yeah. paralyzing. Yeah. But I'll, just getting back to the other thing you said, I saw some amazing artwork. I love some amazing artwork of like entire worlds from video games. Now, even though it's not an escape game, I think I saw someone do it for Shadow of the Beast, like the under underneath the tree uh, world, where it's just the whole, yeah. it's all the graphics like pasted together. And yeah. it, it just, when they do that for a game, it's just, it's absolutely gorgeous. And it gives you a perspective on the game that you've never seen before. It's like zooming yeah. out and looking on the world. Yeah. And you're like, wow. It's incredible. When developed, yeah, when they developed the game, this is like what was in their heads. You know, they, they, this is what they did when they were making the game. To, and that's what and brought their vision onto onto the computer. It just it just, it gives you a whole new perspective on it, and it's absolutely beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful to look at. Chris, tell us your thoughts. Um, for me, um, uh, the Great Escape I played. I never played Escape from Colditz, Um and I remember because the Great Escape came with the Spectrum Plus Three Chartbusters pack on on one of the discs. They had six games. Um, and it's one of those games, quite a few Spectrum games fall into this category for me, whereby um, I started playing them, and then because you had these other packing games, it's like, I don't know what I'm doing, I'll move on, and, and I didn't come back to it until I got bored of all the other titles, went back, and once I understood the complexity of it, it's it's a really in-depth game, you know, having to make sure you go to roll call on time and still trying to dig the tunnel, trying to, you know, um, don't you have to, like, take packages that have got chocolate in and then bribe the guards and stuff like that? Yeah. Lots of little things that you have to do along the way and still, you know, um, not uh, let the guards know what you're up to in terms of, you know, uh, still going to roll call and that kind of thing. I don't remember ever mapping it out, though. It is a game that I swear I need to return to and I need to complete because I, I enjoyed it that much, but I, I didn't map it out. The one, as said before, and I'm pretty sure we've mentioned this in previous episodes as well, is is Mercenary, um, Escape from Tog, the first one, um, whereby I, I was just obsessed, you know, and when I was meant to be doing my maths homework, the grid paper from my maths book literally just got used to draw mercenary maps. And that game, especially on the surface, is all about grid references. And then when you go down into the the underground areas, it's about, well, where do those join up to? Which grid references do they join up to? Where do the corridors go? Where are the pickup items that you need to get? Where are the other characters that you need to interact with? Um, it's, it's a massive game, even though on the surface it's just this simple wireframe flight simulator and inverted commas um yeah huge huge and lots and lots of pages of grid paper and it got me through i completed that game played it start to finish um and it's only thanks to the maps yeah i think modern gaming has lost that and i'm not saying that modern gaming is wrong i'm not saying modern gaming is worse as a result overall but you do lose a little bit from that modern gaming you've you usually have 
an arrow pointing you where you need to walk to go next in a, on an adventure kind of role-playing game type thing and that uh, it does take a little bit away from the having to do the maps although the truth is I don't know how many maps if the internet didn't exist would I do maps now I don't think I would do I just don't have the time for it but I would urge you to have a look at these maps that have been drawn. Look at the detail. Look at the time that's gone into these. It's quite incredible. Possibly my favourite genre of games is first-person shooters. Um, possibly. It really depends on the mood and the day, you know, but it's up there. Um, and as time has passed, what I often think of as one of my least favourite genres is platformers. Don't know why. Just, you know, don't gravitate towards them. Um but the best first-person shooter of all time is, of course, not Doom at all. It's the undisputed king. It's Duke Nukem 3D, and nobody can argue with me on that. Ironically, though, oh, there it is. Dave's holding up Duke Nukem 3D, a very nice-looking copy there. Oh, oh, very good. Um, but the, the irony here is, though, Duke Nukem 3D is, in fact, the it's Duke 3. It's the third game in the fran- franchise. Duke 1 and 2, however, were 2D platformers. Um, as included, funnily enough, my turn to hold up a bit, box uh, included in this Duke Nukem Kiloton collection big box that I actually picked this up. It probably looks better on camera than it does in the flesh. This needs an iron. If anybody wants to don an apron and iron it for me, that would be fantastic. <laughs> it needs some restoration, this box. But it is complete. The contents is complete. And it's got screenshots on the back and everything, including... The 2D platformers, which are Duke Nukem 1 and 2, because they're in there as well. Dave? That's a good video for your channel. Restoring this box. box. Yeah. <sighs> Am I right? Feels like we just put you on a, on a quest, a challenge. If I look at that, Chris, is Duke yeah. embossed on the front of that box? It is, is indeed. It yeah. yeah, so that's going to yeah. be a difficult one to, to iron yeah. if you wanted to. No, exactly. That's true. But there's lots of rips and stuff, which is probably why I got it for 24. But I still think it's completely inside. Ripped. Yeah, Duke is and ripped. Duke, Duke is ripped. And the discs inside, they look brand new. They look pristine, as do all the manuals and everything. It's just the box that has, um, yeah, not stood the test of time too well, unfortunately. Um, but, yeah, um, I, in terms of the 2D platformers, I did try them back in the day briefly. Uh, I, I, and I, I don't remember if I downloaded them or if I found them on a magazine cover disc or or acquired them somehow. Um, but I do recall giving them a go. But I really didn't spend very much time with them at all. And only because I'd already been playing Duke 3D, so that puts it in perspective in terms of the time. You know, it was on my P100. That's the machine I was using at the time, and that would, of course, skewed my opinion because these were old games by that point. Um, and I'm sure most Duke fans knew, uh, would have already known before. You know, we covered this story that, of course, the king was originally flat, but never assume. And it's poignant to bring that up even now because, as Bill was talking about castle wolfenstein and beyond castle wolfenstein i thought hang on what's he talking about because to me wolfenstein 3d was the first but i i did not know and so i had a quick look i thought no surely i knew that so i quickly look up the screenshots of those two games never seen them before in my life never seen them before every day is a school day chris yeah every day is a school day so there you go i did know about duke nukem one and two though but like never assume that people know these things and that's the very reason why zoe handley from destructoid.com has written an article all about duke's origins and specifically the fact that he was in fact a 2d platformer um because you know maybe just somebody out there doesn't know just like i didn't know about castle wolfenstein 
Um, in the article, it's a really good article, so do, as always, we like to point people towards the original source, but she points out that it's, it's very similar to mechanics to what became Duke Nukem 3D in terms of collecting keys uh, to exit the level. Everybody's bouncing up and down. I think Bill would like to say something. <laughs> and us, yeah, and let's not forget uh, another another classic that uh, was started out in 2D, Grand Theft Auto. You know, we think of Grand Theft Auto oh, 5. That oh, started yeah, out in overhead, 2D as well. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's so a, lot, a good one. All these major franchises today that are known for, for 3D first person uh, start out in the in the 2D world. It's so cool that the, they have a legacy and they that they've lived on through all the years, how they started out from like way back in the day, how they evolved. It's nice to see the, the evolution. It's cool. It is cool. Dave? But they're sort of the exception though, because there's so many games that were classic in 2D that went 3D and we all rolled our eyes and said, oh no, this is rotten. Lemmings 3D, for example. Oh God. Keep it 2D. <laughs> oh, yeah. no, there's one that everybody hates, but I loved, and as a family, we loved it, and that's Worms 3D. Now that is not a popular opinion. Yeah. No, Most people hate no. Worm 3D, but we had it on the original Xbox and we played it as a family, good family time, and we actually loved it. And yeah, crack up time. Concrete Donkey, Fatkin Strike, loved it. Yeah, brilliant fun. Anyway, <laughs> not for everybody, but we had Ultima fun. Was the, uh, Ultima was the game I always wanted to go 3D until it went 3D. Uh, and then it was followed by Ultima Online, which was isometric again. It was like, no, this works so much better. Well, hang on, <laughs> hang on. Ultima in 3D did work really well when it went underworld underworld mm. was oh fantastic. i'm talking about ascension i'm talking i know about, i know, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. ultimate un, ultimate underworld was was incredible and that was a side plot though i'm talking about the main thread the main yeah, game I get story I get yeah <laughs> i get you when you said ultimate 3d that's what i thought i thought no, underworld no, no. And then you start to talk badly about it. i thought what what oh <laughs> he means ultimate nine i think um, uh, king's quest went 3d as well king's quest oh, obviously yes. starting out 2D. there's 3d version on steam so you better upgrade your windows <laughs> and I believe it's free on Steam. The last I checked, I'm not sure. Free to play, one of those days. Well, it could have been worse. Being Sierra, it could have gone King's Quest FMV. It could have gone right. like nine CD <laughs> edition or something. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, sorry, we've derailed your story. <laughs> no, Chris. it's good. It's Let's good. make it about Amiga. It's a really good topic, actually. <laughs> Other 2D games that have turned into 3D and those that worked and those that didn't. It's cool. Um, but yeah, so in, in this story, Zoe uh, basically points out in her article that um, Duke Nukem 1 and 2, um, they have actually similar mechanics to what, beca what we became familiar with eventually in Duke Nukem 3D in terms of collecting keys to exit the level. Um, there's decent weapon upgrade paths. You've got an episode-based story progression, all of those kind of things. But what you didn't have was the Duke Nukem quips and the attitude. None of that was in the original too um so it was kind of comparable to commander keen really um but i, I don't think as as well regarded um if, if it's fair to say that so yeah let's discuss i mean we've already opened up into one discussion so we can either expand that or i'm, I'm interested to know a were you guys aware you probably were but did you play duke nukem uh, sorry yeah duke nukem one and two um and also what 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 are your favorite platformers on on any system especially the amiga um dave Okay, um, I won't mention Amiga. Uh, I saw this article um, before you picked it, and I got a kick out of reading it because I thought right away, how could you not know that? And then I realised, Dave, stop being so smug. Um, you're wrong. Um, the, these weren't big games. Duke 1 and 2 weren't big games. They were talked about, and they'd probably be forgotten if it wasn't a case of saying, did you know that these were first on 
2D. Neil? When you say they weren't big games, do you mean in the context of where you lived at the time or like in the US? No, were they- I mean, I, I, they, they were they were nothing in the UK, yeah. but they were, they were moderate in the US, but nothing like as big as Duke 3D. Duke 3D was a, 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 such a, a, a magnificently important game for people. Duke 1 and 2 weren't that way. They were shareware games, I believe, and um, they, they weren't that big a deal. So... As well as saying that, I, I, I don't like to, to say bad things about DOS, but the truth is that DOS games in the, the, the mid to late 80s were fairly poor compared to what we had on the 16 bits. Hello, and comments. it was around 1990 that things really started to race for DOS until it left the ST and the Amiga and the consoles in the dust um, because you had such good games in the PC you couldn't do elsewhere. I just wanted to add some context because what is what 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 is good gaming is all about what you had at the time. Now, you're, yeah. you're talking about late 80s um, PC gaming compared to early 90s PC gaming. And yes, there was sort of seismic steps in what PC could do. But I was using an Amstrad CPC towards the end of the 80s. Yeah. So if I were to compare that to a PC, you know, it's a very different story. I'm looking at Dam Busters running on a PC thinking, I want to play that game. I don't want to play Roland on the ropes. It's, you know, context is everything. Uh, and, and that's a good point. I mean, it, it, what what is important to remember is you're not sitting playing a game not enjoying it because a better, a better system exists. Mm. That's not the case. Um, but... Um, the DOS games were not as technically technically as attractive, not did the same graphics and sound as 16-bit games did. But that they they, they did race ahead. Starting in about 1990, they raced ahead and they obviously won the battle. Uh, however, one area they weren't so good in was platform games. And it was to do with the technical limitations of EGA and VGA. Um, and I'm not going to go into it because I don't fully understand it, but Parallax scrolling in Duke 2 was a big deal in 1993 on the the, the PC. And as far as I know, the Amiga Mafia would put a bullet in the back of your head if you released an Amiga game without Parallax (laughs) scrolling in it in 1989. Um, Parallax was everywhere, so the PC just didn't have it. There's technical reasons for it. I'm not going to explain. I don't understand them. I'm not going to explain. And even even smooth scrolling... On, yeah. on Commander yeah. Keen was a big deal. Yeah. Like, oh wow, we can yeah. do smooth scrolling. Oh right, that, yeah. that's that's a problem for yeah. you guys. Okay, I just had a weird experience. I was just literally well, sitting there going, "Yeah, but shoot 'em up construction kit, you couldn't do it." And then I found myself thinking, "Hang on a minute, if you did some clever stuff with sprites, even though they're not shootable enemies, you could actually use sprites to mimic parallax scrolling." I'm going to experiment with that. That can be done. All right, sorry, carry <laughs> on. A future okay. video. <laughs> so. It is, these games are important to people who had DOS machines of the time because the games are still fun. There's, there's nothing wrong with the games. Um, but when I moved to PC in 1992, I had virtually no interest in, in, in these games, so I missed out on them. And there wasn't really much reason for me to go back to them. So I didn't play them much at all. I knew about them. But back then, I was playing Ultimate Underworld and Ultimate 8. And as far as platform games, I didn't want to be playing those as platform games. But the game, unfortunately, forced you to do it. Um <laughs> I did play lots of platform games back in 8-bit and 16-bit days, and the, the ones that stand out to me are Jet Set Willy, Manic Miner, Roland in Time, Roland in Space, Turrican 1 and 2. Those games there for platformers really stand out. Um, what the, what's the this kind of cinematic one that's a bit like Dragon's Lair? 
in, in terms of doing the right thing at the right time to move forward. Another world, that's it. Another world. Those oh, kind of no, games. No, will be- no, no. Don't be comparing another world to Dragon's Lair. That's a totally <laughs> different game. Dragon's Lair mm. is linear cartoon with junction points. Another world is is platform puzzler. Yeah, you've got with junction points. No, you've got control. It's not. Have you ever played it, Dave? Yes, I know okay, what he's right. saying. I know what. No, I'm going to stand far. in the middle. I'm going to stand in the middle. It is so time critical. Another world. There are some points where you think it's it's quite similar in mechanics. I know it what he's saying. Ha- he's wrong. You have but, to kick. Yeah, you have to go and you have to kick the slugs to move forward. <laughs> <laughs> and then you move forward. You have to run back and then go back and jump on the rope and grab the grab the rope. It's it's a very linear game. Now I'm not saying oh. it's a bad game. Uh, I Bill love is, Bill is holding up a box copy. Of course, it's called Out of This World in the US. Yeah, the American yeah. game. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great. It's a fantastic game. It's mm-hmm. a fantastic game. I'm not. I'm not having a go at all. But it, it, I, I feel it's Dragon's Lair style of gameplay. I'll die on that hill. It's not as bad as Dragon Lair, but I, I see what you're saying. Anyway, carry on. I don't think Dragon's Lair is a good game. I think no, Dragon's Lair is an ama- amazing technical technological feat. Yeah. Another World is a fantastic game. Bill looks like he wants to say something play. there, Dave. Go on, uh, Bill. But to me, Tell me I'm right. Uh, Dave, sorry, I have to disagree with you on that one. To me, the Dragon's Lair and, and uh, Another World are quite quite different, but it's it's yes. all good. I, I, I hear your point. I hear your point. I mean, to me, Another World, yeah, it was called Out of This World here in the US. And... Um, the artwork is horrible in the U.S. version. I don't know why they changed it. It was kind of ridiculous with this guy. I don't know. The original artwork is so beautiful. I don't know why yeah. they would change it or try and rebrand it. But anyway, this game, to me, this is like an Amiga original game. And it was one of the first games that really brought a cinematic experience yeah. at home. Did you know it was developed on an ST? But was it? Yeah. Oh. It was actually developed on both. Yeah, yeah. Both. Um, but it was, I still consider it an Amiga original. Did it come out at the... I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure you're right. Yeah. But and to be honest, I'm not like an ST hater. <laughs> I like. I got. No, I know. I know. I know. My first, I, my first computer was an Atari 800, and uh, yeah. you know, I followed the the J minor the J minor lineage uh, well. Yeah. Um, stop. Stop toying with Bill, Dave. I, yeah. I I do this. I do this. I, I like. I like to have a little <laughs> dig now and then. I don't really mean it. It's so funny because I did. Uh, there are some really cool documentaries with the creator Eric out there. Um, Chahai. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. And uh, I mean, I should rewatch him because I always saw him working on the Amiga. <laughs> if you want to um, go back and enjoy Another World, um, I'd recommend you try the 3DO version. Wonderful, keeps everything original, but then it adds uh, watercolored backgrounds as well. So you've got this extra layer of art behind the whole game. It's wonderful and a and a you know a nice cinematic CD score. So that's 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 my favorite Ooh, way to play it at never, the moment. I've never tried that one before. But I, I agree with Bill. I, I do consider it a, an Amiga original. I'm, I'm there with Bill. Yeah. Rightly or wrongly, yeah. I do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think if I, you played it first, the Amiga, it's an Amiga game to you. And that, that, there's nothing wrong with that's that. That's a good at all. point. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. I do. I do sometimes get a little bit, a little bit annoyed when games that were developed on the ST and then ported to the Amiga are called Amiga games without any reference to the ST. The ST kind of. I don't like to see it erased. Fair, fair enough. No, it's so funny because I mean, technically, it is a platformer game. But when I think of platformers, I guess I'm old school. I still think of like single screen. Uh, yeah. games so my from back in the day like i'd say the first one i really loved was called load runner and i played it on my atari 800 and then later i played it on my apple 2e and that took it to a whole nother level because uh, the apple 2e had two buttons uh, a button one and a button two and it was really cool because one button would burn to the left and the other button would burn to the right and you didn't actually have to turn your character in the direction that you want it to burn and i just i love that game that's one of my favorite all-time platformers to this day 
And there hasn't really been a great like, Amiga port of Load Runner, and I would love someone to do it with the two button controllers. May, or maybe there has been a great Amiga port of it. I, I, don't, I don't know. I know there was an attempt mm. uh, not too long ago, and it was really cool. But I would love to, to get like a real proper like Load Runner port on the Amiga. That's, uh, that's one of my all time favorite platformers. And uh, you know, as far as Amiga platformers, yeah, I think you covered some Turrican. The Turrican series is just it's yeah, out of this world. <laughs> it's yeah. uh, it's on a whole nother level. The Turrican series is just absolutely amazing. And um, as well as out of this world, and I was saying before, it's to me, it's the first cinematic game because the whole Amiga is known for its openings, right? A lot of a lot of flash. So people say all oh, the Amiga games have all all flash, and the gameplay is not so good. Um, that that's true in some cases, but not all cases. Well, this one's got plenty of flash. That opening sequence is like watching a movie. The opening sequence to another. It really world. fits the, fits the game really well. It feels as if it's part of the game, not just something that that someone else decided to do as a let me show you what I can do, and then stick this in the front of your un, almost unrelated game. It's nothing like that at all. Exactly, because the way it integrates too, like when it's almost like Tron when he gets zapped from his laboratory and then put into into the actual gaming world. It just it it flows so smoothly. What about Duke 3D? Do you remember that? Oh, at Duke 3D, I've got really great memories of, of Duke 3D. I do remember my friends and I did play the original 2D Duke as well. It wasn't something that I played a lot, but we always thought it was a funny game. It still had a good, good sense of humor and a, and a cool vibe. And then when Duke 3D came out, I always like, you know, I love first person shooters as well. But for me back then, there was nothing like getting together, like what your friends and playing games together. So Duke 3D was really the, the first like LAN game that I would play. I used to have Amiga parties and we would play, you know, head to head with a null modem cable. But then like once you mm-hmm. actually network computers together and get more than two people in the game, that was just that was just a whole nother level of fun. So I would host Duke Nukem 3D LAN parties at my house. Even have some some footage of those parties from back in the day. This is like the mid nineties. And I'll just never forget like everyone they would like pick up their CRT monitor, pick up their tower, put it into their car and put it on the car seat, like strap it in with their seat belts, drive to my house. And then we just set up this really cool land like with like five to seven people uh, in my basement. And we would just, we'd go nuts playing Duke 3D. We would, it's so great because after, it's, it's not like today where you're separated from everyone playing online. Yeah. You're in the same room. So after like, you give someone like a good headshot or take them out, you can just like stand up and taunt them. And then you're all sitting there drinking beers together and eating chips. Oh man, it was just, <laughs> it, it, hours would just go, go by like that. And it was just some of, some of the best times that I can remember in my computer slash gaming career those Duke Nukem 3D land parties. And of course, all the humor. Uh, the humor in Duke is just hilarious. His voice and all of his little sayings are, 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 are classic. And a fun, a fun fact, like, it was kind of strange. I was working on a job many years ago and the sound recorder said that he's actually like the model, like the face model for Duke Nukem, which kind of blew my mind. Don't know if it's true or not, but, it, I, but after I looked at him, I'm like, yeah, I, I totally can see that. So who knows? Maybe the sound recordist in the, in the film industry here in New York, maybe, maybe, he may be the actual face of Duke. I don't know. That's pretty good. <laughs> but I thought it was kind of fun. It was just totally random because we weren't talking about video games or anything. We were doing a job and he just started talking about, like, yeah, it was crazy. One day I was, uh, they, these guys approached me who I was working with the, the model for their game. Like, what game was it? He's like, it's called Duke Nukem. I was like, no way. Get out of here. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, so who knows? He might he might be right. I don't know. <laughs> you did you did say to me that you would give some um, some footage of your land parties playing Duke from the the late nineties to Duncan. So hopefully you can put those on video to see if you want to click if you're watching if you're listening and you want to watch and see that those bits there. Click that bit in the in the YouTube version. Oh yeah, we got some VHS footage of uh, the land party. My friend Amazing. Anthony, my Anthony going nuts down there. My friend John all taunting each other, and <laughs> it was great. <laughs> nice. Neil, what about yourself? We haven't heard from you on this, I don't think. 
So, um, yeah, like I mentioned earlier, I went from Amstrad to Amiga and I was Amiga gaming. So context again, I was Amiga gaming during the era of magenta PC gaming, although there was then crossover as I looked with envious eyes on Ultima 7 appearing on the PC and not on the Amiga and it had 256 colors and it had Sound Blaster support and it was just everything that my Amiga couldn't do, <laughs> at least my Amiga 500 anyway. Um, but there was that period where I was kind of smug looking down on these games, finding it difficult to appreciate games like Duke 1, Duke 2, Commander Keen, because I don't have a personal nostalgic connection to them and because of the colors and the graphical styles. The graphical styles in some of these PC games I would describe often as being a little bit more functional than artistic, especially if you compare it to something like out of this world or another world which is such a beautiful cinematic artistic um game and then you look at something like commander keen or duke nukem it doesn't look bad it just looks quite functional in my eyes um dave yeah i, I, I really should have mentioned that i always felt that there was that the atari st and the amiga games are always trying to see this is our tonic and this is our mario and this that that this is this is the, the the game that's just as good as what you see in the consoles and it wasn't really that true yeah so there was this period of sonic and mario is how it's done when it comes to platform games and everything else felt like it was trying to reach out and just touch Sonic or Mario's boots in the hope that some of their greatness would rub off. And it, it really did. It always felt like a poor imitation with exceptions that came along, you know, things like Rayman were really good, but very, very few met the greatness of Sonic and Mario. So um, if I was playing a platformer, I was much more interested in something like flashback for example the sequel to another world which technically it's a platformer but it you know it played to the machine's strengths uh, and it didn't try to mimic something that the amiga was not very good at and i think the same applies to the pc it wasn't very good at platformers and the fact that they managed to overcome things like smooth scrolling um and things like that um and create memorable characters because duke is a wonderful character that has a huge amount of longevity they got that right um as said, I don't actually rate platform games as a genre I gravitate towards. However, Shadow of the Beast on the Amiga and also the modern version on the PS4, Batman on the Amiga, one of my all-time favourite games, Saboteur on the Spectrum, also one of my all-time favourite games, Donkey Kong on the Game & Watch, I'm going to include it, Alvida's A Monty on the Spectrum, absolutely, Gods on the Amiga, Turrican 1 and 2, also on the Amiga, to name a few, all platformers and all rate very highly as some of them, my favorite games of all time. So maybe I do actually enjoy platformers. <laughs> you know, who knew? Um, I think it's just that when I tried PC platformers, they just didn't compare to what I was used to on the Amiga and the SNES um, and Duke is included in that. And we've, we've kind of opened that in the discussion. However, thanks to Dr. Local who shared this on uh, subreddit. Uh, I think I'm ready to kick ass and chew bubble gum, even if the gum do, has been... Do the accent. Do the accent. Oh, Okay. I'll, I'll give it a go, Dave, but it never never comes off well. I think I'm ready to kick ass and chew bubblegum, even if the gum has been squashed into 2D on the bottom of someone's platform shoes. It's terrible. Now, Duncan, what king. I'd like you to do is take LGR's impression of Duke and layer it over Chris at that point. <laughs> That's going to be impossible. <laughs> we should get AI to do that. Read these lines in the style of Duke Nukem. Anyway, to close, hail to the king, maybe. 
So we close off today's show with our community question of the week. You will have noticed that Bill is no longer with us now. Um, he's had to rush off. He was a little bit under the weather. So we really appreciate you taking the time to join us today, Bill. And um, the, the best place to find Bill, I believe, is on Twitch. Look for Amiga Bill. He streams regularly. He does wonderful streams with about 400 million different camera angles, including one from a vintage um, camcorder that he's got plumbed in. And he's got some incredible stories. He jet sets around the world operating the camera on big, big movie productions and Netflix series. He's got incredible stories about hanging out, playing video games with Mike Tyson, <laughs> which he'll tell you all about if you ask him. He's met some amazing people. So uh, Bill is the world's biggest Amiga fan and so much more besides. Lovely guy. Thank you for joining us today, Bill. So our community question of the week, let's go back to last week's question of the week. If you want to participate, you head to reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro, the same place to submit news stories that you might like us to discuss. And last week's question was um, all about special editions. Have you ever seen or do you own a special edition of a popular product that you would like to share? Is there a special edition that you're on the hunt for? Let us know below. So I will start with... Milap64. I think that's the first time I've seen your name here. So thank you for coming to the subreddit and participating. So um, Milap64 says, I own a boxed C64 copy of Microprose Gunship, which is a special gift edition that had a limited number of runs. It features a 20-minute audio cassette with Wild Bill Steely flying the training mission. So Bill Steely being the co-founder of uh, Microprose and former um, US Air Force pilot. At the end of the tape, it announces what your free gift is and that you can claim it from Microprose. Mine was a gunship poster, but there were lots of other prizes available at the time, including a flight in Mr. Microprose's, or no, it says there, Ms. Microprose, sorry, with Wild Bill. So that was a plane that he actually bought and had sign written with Microprose adverts on. So when people went to visit Bill, um, and he wanted to impress them, he would take them up in the Microprose plane and fly them around. This was in the States. This wasn't happening above Tetbury in the Cotswolds. Um, it was in the States. Uh, don't know if anyone ever claimed that prize, though. That's brilliant to think that they went to the effort of recording a different ending to multiple tapes so you could have different prizes. That's really great. Never heard of that. So that's now top of my list to look for on eBay. <laughs> Gift edition of Gunship, if Chris doesn't get to it before me. Got that right. Um, Chris, do you want to take the next answer? Yeah, sure. It's by Colony Activist. I'm sure I'm not the only one that covets the fold-out version of Cryo's Dune with the sandworm. He's got a smiley face and 600 pounds, exclamation mark, question mark. <laughs> yeah, wow, so big, yeah. It, it, I, know that, I know about this one. It's the big box version of Dune, but it, there was a special promotional version. It folded out like a pop-up pop book and there was a sand sandworm with an open mouth in it. It's definitely not worth £600. It's a fantastic game. Absolutely amazing game. I love it. But better than Dune. Dune 2 is a great game, but I love Dune 1. Amazing game. There is a link to a current eBay yeah. listing that shows it's £600 if you do want to go and yeah. look at that. But uh, I certainly won't be dropping £600 on that. Thank you very much. Um, Dave, do you want to read the next answer? Yeah. Senior by 445 says a 24-carat gold-plated DeLorean. Um and it's linked to an advert that says, this Christmas, American Express brings you the gold at the end of the rainbow. Um, and it says, front cover of the 1980 American Express Christmas catalogue featuring the gold-plated DeLorean. Um, 
offered $85,000 each. Only two were sold. So it was a limited edition of 100 DeLoreans with 24 karat gold plating, but they only sold two. Well, Oops. my my first car, my uh, Ford Escort, was gold with beige interior. So I like to think it's up there with the gold-plated DeLorean. <laughs> my Proton Persona was gold. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, there are many more answers besides, uh, plenty of them with links to go in and see things like a gold BBC micro in the London Science Museum. Thank you, Grant B. Strength. Um, Warshi7819 talks about a gold competition pro joystick. Uh, what else have we got? Um, a gold-plated version of the, uh, the Kenobi lightsaber. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a link to that from um, Taster murder thank you for uh <laughs> submitting that the millionth morris minor is lilac special edition lilac morris minor all sorts in that thread so do go and check it out and read through the links and that brings us on to this week's question of the week we were talking about maps earlier so did you ever hand draw a map for a game did you sit there with your graph paper and plot carefully each room in a text adventure maybe you were plotting jet set willy or some other platformer that dave was uh, talking about earlier um Maybe even a first-person shooter. What, what did you sit down and map out? Do you still have it? Can you share it with us? I did recently see a beautiful watercolored map of uh, a Dizzy game that Jasper, one of our volunteers, brought in. His grandmother mapped the game as she played it and included on these glorious watercolor prints even were um, little notes about bugs she discovered in the games. So, you know, bugs that would be game-ending that she didn't want to repeat. Um, amazing thing. So... Did you make it all the way to the end of the game with the use of your map? Share share your stories with us over at reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro. Thank you again. Check out Amiga Bill on Twitch. You'll find all the links in the show notes as well as links to all the stories and anything else that we've discussed today. Dot is waving. Dave's new cat. Chris is waving. And I'm waving. Take care. See you next time, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Thanks so much for having me on, guys. That was a lot of fun. It's a real honor to be on your podcast as well because I'm a big fan of the show. If you want to know where to follow me on social media, easiest thing to do is to head over to amigabill.tv. It's basically a link tree with all my social media links. The main thing I do is stream every Sunday on Twitch. It's twitch.tv slash amigabill. I come on at 2 p.m. New York City time, which is 6 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time, and I do all things Amiga over there every Sunday. It's a lot of fun. I also have a YouTube channel called The Guru Meditation, youtube.com slash The Guru Meditation, and I'm on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff too. It's all over at the amigabill.tv link tree. This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RMC The Cave, Chris from 005 Aguima, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Styles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. community subreddit at r slash this week in retro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show if you watch this week in retro on youtube please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers
If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.